Hello, this is Ernie Cody, CEO of Bulls, CEO of Bullseye Media, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Murphy with Persomnus. Murph Doggy Dog. <laughs> Murph Doggy Dog. Well, so I, I finished the last one with a little rap, so I can yes. start this one with my rap name. So <laughs> yes, better. so to catch everyone up in our last episode, <laughs> we depressed all of our listeners and said you should never do sleep. It's going to be a total disaster. A lot of drinking going on <laughs> yeah, across America today. And it, and it ended with uh, a little uh, M&M. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so in, in that last podcast, I had mentioned about the, uh, it, it is difficult to start a group it practice. Is. It's absolutely uh, worth it because you once you get it going, it can be highly profitable and you can really have an impact on people's lives. So it's absolutely something that it, that is a, a worthy endeavor, just like all things in life worth having, sometimes tough. Um, and so I was telling my story in the last podcast about just how I stumbled upon uh, dental sleep medicine and it, and it worked for me. And uh, you've had that experience of starting a sleep practice. Mm -hmm. So uh, expand upon, I've I've said from a patient perspective why it's difficult. Right. Talk about from a physician perspective why it's difficult. Yeah. So it it is difficult. And it's it's funny because in the last podcast, and you said it very well, somebody will go to one of those weekend classes and they'll hear about, here's, here's what you get paid for each device and here's how technically, clinically easy it is to do the device, the knowledge base in terms of what you need to know to, to do this. It's not that huge. You do much more difficult things on a daily basis. This this task will feel simple. You need to have a broad knowledge base behind it, so you, you know all these little things that can go wrong. But it's uh, fairly simple to do. Um, Compensation is fantastic, and I don't just mean financial. I mean watching patients get better is always important for us. It's a tremendous feedback mechanism when you see people get healthy, people get back in bed with each other, people um, watch their comorbidities get managed, they start to lose weight. Mm-hmm. So there's tremendous positive reinforcement yeah. for those modifications. And then the second part of that is your team gets supercharged by it. So, you know, you getting fired up and watching the patients get well, and then your team really feels fulfilled because of what we're doing. Just like when you do a big cosmetic case, yeah. you, you know, when you're doing just routine fillings, little things that people can't appreciate in the back teeth, it's hard to get all psyched up about yeah. that. But you do a big cosmetic case and they change their smile and their bite and it feels great. Home run feels great. Yeah. And, and you get that every day with sleep or, or at least say three out of four times or you know, five out of six times. And then the final part is, yeah, the financial remuneration is quite good, but it's hard. And, and nobody tells you that they, and you've heard this, the overnight success that you see in fill in the blank, this doctor or that doctor that's telling you about sleep, the overnight success you see in them getting rid of their regular dental practice. They become so successful. They only do sleep. They do it three days a week. They, they do a million, five or $2 million a year. And you're like, holy crap, I want to do that. And what, what we do is we say, here we are. And, and, and that's where I want to be. And then we draw a line and we, and we draw a straight line. Yeah. And it's not a straight line. It's a very crooked, you know, what up, up line. It's all messed up. And then it, it also goes up and down and it goes right and left. And then not only that, it's not like a six month line. It's not even a nine or a 12 month line. It might be a two or three or four year process. And I think as dentists, it is extremely difficult for us to bring on a new activity become adept enough at it that we feel confident and competent, and then to give ourselves the time to see that process through. Mm-hmm. We're looking for that somewhat instant gratification so that when we say, well, I've set that new goal, I wanna have this sleep competency in my practice, and I wanna do this, we think that we're gonna have that in three or six or nine months. So I would say to anyone starting out in sleep, write a plan, Talk about your vision, 
by your goals, just like you would in any kind of good leadership course. Mm-hmm. And then start the sentences when you write about it. In five years, I will be. Be very active about the path and the words you use. In five years, I will be. But in five years, and it probably won't take five years, but if you set your mind to say that this process, this evolution, not revolution, could take me five years, you'll have a little bit more patience with yourself. I think one of the hardest things about sleep practice is we look for those transformations to come quickly. And then we're very disappointed, we're frustrated, and we go, screw it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. The billing was hard, my staff doesn't get it, they're not screening all the patients they're supposed to, the physicians aren't sending me referrals like I wanted. This is nothing like what Dr. So-and-so has that he told me about in that weekend class. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's that, that, that time frame is just a huge negative component to that. Yeah. I remember at uh, the Q&A in EDSM, um, I don't remember what question was asked, but Dr. Drake down in San Antonio said that he did uh, pre-COVID 180 lunch and learns a year. And his practice is fully referral. He doesn't do any more advertising. He's got two clinics in, in San Antonio. He, he goes back and forth between the two. Fully booked, sleep patients all day long, which is nirvana, right? It's what everybody wants to get. So I heard him say that, and I was on the panel too, and I wrote that in my notes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I wanted to repeat it to somebody, but I thought I had to have written that down wrong. 180 lunch and learns is, I mean, what, they're only like 200 work days in the week, right? When you take out holidays and weekends, I think out of the 365 days a year, there's two, it's a little over 200. Almost every day. So I called him and I said, hey, I wrote this down and there's just no way I got this right. And he said, yeah, that, 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 that's what I did. So, you know, uh, to get to that point in life is, is, is difficult. And we are going to have a podcast on that topic about, about a way to, to yeah. get doctors to refer to. For sure. But back to... But that's not the best place to start. Yeah. So where, sure. where, where, where do you start? Where do you start? Yeah. So um, the, the Drake formula, by the way, he goes by Drake now. Oh, does he? It's a rap thing. Bro. <laughs> You're going to be E-Man, okay. Rift Doggy Dog, and Drake. And you mentioned Nirvana already, so I'm, I'm good. Yeah. We got it all. <laughs> we got it all. The music just never stops here. So the, the Drake methodology there of 180, or, yeah. forget about 180, even if it was 30 or 40 a year, a it's a tremendous number of lunch yeah. and learns. You actually have to earn the right to get that audience for lunch and learn. Yep. So there's a process and there's an evolution and there's a, a trust that has to be earned to get to the point where you could do those 30 or 50 or 180 mm-hmm. lunch and learns. A. B. Think about a funnel. You live in the funnel world. I live in the funnel world. So you think of this funnel of how many lunch and learns you do and how many of those doctors' offices are converted to becoming believers in what you're capable of doing and want to make referrals and then how many of them matriculate down to actually making those referrals. And so there's a a pathway that you can measure the success formula. And if you did 180, and by the way, Drake is super successful. I'm calling Drake from now on. (laughs) Next time I see him, yo, Drake, what's up, man? So um, he's he's going to wonder what the hell happened to me. But he'll roll with it. So um, if you asked him, you know, and in his case, it's going to be high. But if he had 180 of those and only 18 of them really were receptive to the lunch and learns, the rest were just eating the free lunch. Mm -hmm. Now he's really got 18 lunch and learns. And if half of them kind of were swayed to thinking positively about oral appliances, and of those nine, the half of the 18, right? I'm just Mm -hmm. following my math. Of the nine, three of them actually started sending patients. Was that the right expense of time, effort, and energy to start a sleep practice? And I would argue, hell no. (laughs) Hell no. I'd shoot myself in the eye with a blunt instrument before I would go do that. Because those are hard. Yeah. You would spend all that time getting in there. Yeah. And then your first and second impressions of these people 
weren't paying any dividends. In every single dentist practice who decides they want to get into sleep, they have a plethora, a huge number of available patients who have sleep apnea. If a practice had 2,000 patients, just going to keep the math simple, don't spend all day because we're dentists going to line. I only have 1,472 or I have 2,260. If you had 2,000 patients, at least 25% of them have obstructive sleep apnea. 90% of those, at least 80%, let's say, have never been diagnosed. So I've got 500 patients in my practice if I have 2,000, 400 of which have never been diagnosed, 400 of which have never been diagnosed. If tomorrow I made a commitment to start this five-year plan that we talked about, to begin by screening my patient population, and maybe, maybe I wanna evolve even this screening and this mining of my own patient population for, for what's there, the diamonds that are under my feet, and I'm, and I'm looking for these diamond mines to buy and invest in when there's diamonds under my feet, right? And that's what happens. I look for these lunch and learns when I've got things right here in front of me. If I made a commitment to do that and said, maybe, maybe I'm gonna do it in a slow fashion. We're gonna start with all the males. We're gonna screen all the males in my practice that are over 50, because we know they're most at risk. And then we're gonna add the females over 50. Then we're gonna add everybody else. Because I, I look at you and you tell your sleep apnea story and I'm like, dude, you look like a fitness buff. You're healthy, you're fit. No way you have sleep apnea. 23 times an hour, right? It's yeah. crazy, yeah. right? So it's you do have those outliers. Mm -hmm. But if you were gonna segment the population, you'd say men over 50 overweight, done. Snores, yeah. if you had that, boom, that's a lock. You'd have 90% of that population. However you decide to screen, you have to make a commitment to that. Now it's not me telling my team to screen. It's me leading my team to screen. And that's a big difference because in dentistry, we didn't go to business management school. We didn't get MBAs. Um, we're not trained to be leaders. We're trained to work in a foreign circle really successfully and pretty much on our own with somebody just sucking spit next to us. And so we're not really good communicators with the patient's head or with our staff's head. We're really good at telling people what to do and then expecting them to be excellent at it without ever having the leadership skills. We're good at managing a list of things and checking them off, but we're not good at leading people to a a preferred place where they'd feel like they'd want to do something. It's this idea of telling and creating a, a meaningful, emotional, engaging story with our team about this better place that we can help our patients get to. And, and when we paint this picture of this, this place, then they'll want to figure out how to get there with us. Mm -hmm. If I tell them to screen rather than engage them in a conversation about how important this is and how many patients in our practice, and we keep talking about, let's, let's put it in these words, the problem, sleep apnea in our patient population until they finally say, well, we should be screening those patients. Boom, a light bulb went off in somebody's head. Mm -hmm. And then how will we screen it? Boom, another light bulb went off. Well, we could do it in hygiene. Yeah, that'd be the best place. Pretty soon it's their idea, mm -hmm. not my idea. Leadership is about helping other people see the possibilities. Um, there's a big difference between management and leadership. Management is making sure we do things right. Leadership is making sure we're doing the right things. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that they're doing things right in terms of the screening is us poking down from the top, telling them what they're supposed to be doing, but painting this picture or preferred feature where we're screening our patients and helping them get healthier and we're doing fulfilling things for them, we're changing people's lives and it's meaningful. Mm -hmm. That's the story that's gonna give them a moment of impact that, that, that they can buy into, that they can grab onto. And they'll help you solve those problems of how do we do it? When do we do it? How successfully do it? How do we track what we do? But for me to just tell them, hardly ever going to be a very successful story. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about as, as I talk about my results with, with the device, um, 
you know, I've never run into my dentist office. I got, I got last time I went, <clears throat> excuse me, three or four months ago, I got a crown. And so I went back the other day and got my teeth cleaned and I didn't say, Hey, Dr. Buchanan, man, that, that crown really, that was something. Boy, my life is better because of that. Well, you've talked about your sleep apnea. Heck yeah. Dozens and dozens Heck of times. Yeah. I would have come back and every time said to the staff, man, thank goodness for that. I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm sleeping better. I've got more energy, uh, the whole thing. Um, well, so I, I love the fact that you, you talked about the leadership aspect mm-hmm. of how you get staff to screen patients. Um, what I'll pivot to is the very tactical mm-hmm. way that you can educate those. You'll, you'll those almost patients. sound like a dentist when you say that. You know? <laughs> okay. So tell me, how do I actually do that? Yeah, exactly. But, but you, you see the disconnect in that that can sometimes occur. And, and you and I talk about this kind of stuff all yeah. the time. Yeah. Giving them the checklist of what they're supposed to ask and how they're supposed to score it, and then how they're supposed to tell that patient they need to have a sleep test and they should have a consult with the doctor. That's the mechanical part. That's the yeah. tactical part. Yeah. Totally get that. Super yeah. important, right? But without the leadership component that inspires them to want to do that, they will sabotage because you're asking them to do more work. Uh, and yeah. if they don't understand the fulfillment in it, they will sabotage that. We go to a conference, we come back, got this great idea, we're going to institute this change on Monday, and on Wednesday we've thrown it out the door. Yep. And they're waiting for me to go to the next conference, yep. and they just they load up like this and get ready for mm. it. So it's critical, yeah. this leadership. But the tactical part, easy. Yeah. You know, um, I've taught practices for years now to have two pieces of the puzzle that they want to put together for the patient. And I'm thinking ahead to helping that patient make a decision about their health. And this is important too. I'm just screening at this phase. And I don't know whether this patient is going to be positive on the screener or negative. Now, maybe I have some ideas because I, I see the patient. They look like they're over 50. They look like they're overweight and they look like they're male. So I'm three way, three, three out of the eight stop bang items are already checked off the box. If I ask them about snoring, we get to four, boom, it's done. So I'm, I'm maybe leading in that direction, but I don't know yet. So, but I'm, I'm setting up the patient in such a way that the screening answers a question that they want to know. Do I have this disease? Mm-hmm. So if they don't know about sleep apnea and they just think it's snoring, first thing I want to do is somehow in this conversation connect those two things, that this very serious, life-threatening, life-shortening disease, mm-hmm. we see that almost all the time with snoring. When somebody snores, it's not 100%, but we've got a very high correlation between people that snore usually have sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Sleep apnea is a very serious thing. Yeah. It's not just snoring. Because even, and for some of us, we talk about this a lot of time, there's so many people who... Um, talk to us about their snoring. You know, they reach out to us as a company. You know, I heard about your snore device. I heard about your snore thing. It's like, it's not about the snoring. <laughs> I'm not going to shit about the snoring. Yeah. I, mean, I do care about the snoring, but I tell people all the time, we don't always fix that. We usually do. So, yeah. So, I mean, really, it's not a, it's not a clinical disorder. Yeah. It's like, it's like stain on your teeth. It's ugly, but it's not pathologic. Yeah. Stain on your teeth looks ugly and, and it might stop you from being successful at a lot of things, but it's not causing periodontitis. It's not causing you to lose your teeth. It doesn't cause decay. It's just ugly. So the removal of stain is polite and it's nice and we should do that, but that's where snoring fits in. Yeah. But the screening is, is two things. The, the, the screening questionnaire, like an Epworth sleepiness scale, which is not a very meaningful um, tool. It doesn't correlate well to whether or not they have apnea. It correlates very well to whether or not they have the tired drowsiness. But there's so many reasons for drowsiness and tired that the correlation between does a patient have sleep apnea because they had a high upward sleepiness scale or a high daytime, excessive daytime sleepiness? doesn't seem to correlate well. But it's a conversation starter. That's all I wanted that for. So the upward sleepiness scale on the health history, added to the health history, added to the um, 
catch-up health history when a patient's coming in for the recare visit is a great way to open the door. Now, you've got most of the other things that are in the stop bang. The stop bang are the eight items that if they have three, they're at moderate risk. If they have four, they're at high risk or more. Five, six, seven, still the same as four. 92% correlation, by the way, mathematically, mm -hmm. with the predictability about a patient having four or more and having sleep apnea. So high that some pundits are talking about, we should quit doing sleep tests. We should use the stop bang. I think that's irresponsible, but I can understand their merit because yeah. it's a fairly good correlation. And the stop bang is simple. I, most people know, but it's S, do you snore? Okay. T, are you tired? Again, maybe you pick up that one from the sleepiness scale. I can't tell by looking at the patient if they snore. Tired. I asked them, though, those questions, the upper sleepiness scale. Oh, has there been an observed stop breathing? Your daughter shook you, woke you up because you were gasping for air. Right. <sighs> right? You're like, holy crap, it scared the crap out of her. So I'll have to ask that question, too. So the snoring and the observed, I got I to gotta probe a little bit more. So S-T-O-P, well, you know whether they're hypertensive or not because you have their health history. Right. And maybe you broaden that discussion to say, what if they had arrhythmia or GERD or history of some heart problems? What if they had a comorbidity that's often associated with sleep apnea? Even though that's not technically in the algorithm that's used for a stop bang, I'd probably lean in that way for that discussion. So now I've got STOP, now I've got B-A-N-G, B, BMI. I don't have to put them on a scale and measure their height. I do to calculate their BMI. But you can look at somebody and say, if they're a little bit stocky, they're probably knocking on 30's door for a BMI. I'm this picture of buff and fitness, as you can clearly see, <laughs> yes. and I'm a 29.1 BMI because I carry a lot of muscle mass. Almost every NFL football player would have a BMI that puts them into the sleep apnea. Is that the way you were kind of showing off? Like, I've got lots of muscle mass. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you go, to the, you go to the gym and you see all the muscle mass people, they, they almost all have sleep apnea. Really? The muscle mass crowd has tightened up their necks, increased their muscle size, and decreased the space that their airway normally constitutes. Really? It's rampant in gyms. Huh. People, not to be the casual person going to work out. Of course, yeah. that's just fitness. But you know, the people that are building. Yeah. And if you think of an NFL athlete, they're generally building yeah. because that's strength. So it's huge propensity for sleep apnea in professional athletes that, that build bulk. You know, not as much for a marathon runner, not as much for certain swimmers, things like that. Yeah. Everybody's building bulk. So uh, BMI, A, age, you know the patient's age because that's in their health history. N, neck size. Well, I'd like to put a tape measure on everybody's neck, but I, let's just do this. If they're overweight, they probably have a large neck, yeah. 17 in men, 15 in women. Um, I do have a 17 neck, you don't, I can clearly see that. I used to sell clothes, so you're probably a, you're probably a 15. It might be a 14 and a half, but you wear a 15 14. for comfort. <laughs> so, somewhere Spot around there. <laughs> there you go, so, I sold shirts, oh, lots of clothes. Nice shirt, but thank you. So, um, and then, and then after the next size, it's gender. Well, we generally know the patient's gender. So think of that, you know, S-T-O-P-B-A-N-G. We have almost all of those. So you could say, I noticed here you said you're kind of sleepy. I know you've got hypertension. You're over 50. You're male. I can see you're a little overweight. Maybe you don't mention <laughs> that too loud. Don't say they're fat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you say, as, have you, as your spouse, as your partner ever said that they've noticed you're snoring? I thought, yeah. Anybody have noticed you're stop breathing? You know, those are all actually indications. And you've got so many of these factors that actually put you at high risk for obstructive sleep apnea. Have you ever heard of sleep apnea? Now you're in the, now you're in the conversation of taking this from a very innocent conversation opening up with sleeping a scale, combining with what you've got in their chart and what you can observe. And the only two questions you really have to ask are, do you snore? Has anyone ever seen you stop breathing? And now you've got a complete stop bang on that patient, visually, chart recommendation, 
couple quick conversations. And now it's easy to take that conversation to a consultation with the dentist if that's the pathway you choose. Maybe it's a consultation with a sleep specialist in your practice, maybe a, a team member that really has those conversations with the patient. I, For me, I would like it to be me, the dentist, and I think most of us would, but if you're not that good of a communicator, hand that off to somebody else. But that's how you mine your patient population, the low-hanging fruit, as you call it. I like that. That's a marketing term, low-hanging fruit, to say these are the easy ones to pick off. And if you did, if, if, if my numbers were right, and you said 2,000 patients, 500 apneics, 400 untreated, you screen and you found those 400. And you actually found the 500. Some of them hate their CPAP, by the way. So they're still in play. They all hate their CPAP. But let's just stay with the 400, make yeah. it easy. And if you were only successful with half of them, 200. 100, yeah. And the 200 moved forward and you did one a week, you have patience for four years to get started in dental sleep medicine. Yeah. One device a week for four years. During that time, you can start to work on your direct to consumer strategies and tactics. How am I going to get referrals from physicians or other dentists in the area who don't want to do sleep? You can start to layer on. That's why I talk about this being, if you give yourself in five years, I will have this thriving because in five years, you'll have gone through all your patients. Mm -hmm. And now the only patients you can mind are the new patients that right. come in. Yep. So that's going to go away. So while you've got the two or three or four years of mining your own patient population, you start to plant those seeds and you can't harvest and eat what you planted today. Right. You got to wait for that stuff to grow. Yeah. Um, so thank you. That was great. So a, a couple of things from a marketing perspective that yeah. people can do. Um, you know, as you mentioned on the stop bang, you've got all that, that right in front of you. You also have got everything you need to reach out to your patients. That is a um, not HIPAA violation, right? An email address, a phone number, a, a, a physical address. Absolutely. You can mail postcards uh, because maybe when I come in to get, oh. get my teeth cleaned. Do you snore? It could be sleep apnea. Yeah, or, <clears throat> or I say, no, nah, I don't snore. And my partner gets this in the mail and says, are you kidding? You, you, you sound like a freight train every day, right? So, uh, you know, making sure that the that, that family knows. Uh, so mailers, emails, text, uh, notices in, uh, in, in the lobby, you know, where you can have articles about sleep apnea out. You can have mm -hmm. a sign about it. Are you snoring? You can have a QR code at the checkout desk that says, learn more about sleep apnea. As if your, <clears throat> excuse me, your hygienist is doing a screen and they, and, and he or she thinks that a patient is, is a potential, uh, suffers from sleep apnea. Same thing, have a QR code, have a, have a brochure, but just, it's funny. I, I was in California last week and, uh, it's a husband and wife practice, and they they, they sat me down and they said, our, 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 our practice is booming, but we want to do more implants and cosmetics, and we're, you're just not coming in the door. And, and they're our clients, so I know their website, and I know what they do for social, I know what they do blogs, because we do it all. And I said, I'm so grateful you've, you've told me this. I can help you, but how in the world would somebody out there in the world know that you want to do more implants and cosmetics? You've got to the, the exact same way that, that you said you would mine a, 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 a patient database about sleep. I said, you've got to do all these things. You've got to start blogging about it. You've got to change your website to, to show that feature. You need to have your social be about it. You need to have awareness as people come in the office about it. And guess what? Over time, people will come to you for their implants and cosmetics. But right now, 
And the thing is, is that this couple is brilliant. They're part of all these different study clubs. They travel around the, the, the country being really being experts in this and are frustrated that they didn't have enough patience. And I said, well, you gotta, you gotta focus on letting them know, you know, so I think it's the same thing with sleep. So, well, uh, we will wrap this one up. Uh, and this, uh, I appreciate you sharing with, with people getting into sleep. Um, how they can, all the low-hanging fruit, how they can go after their own patients. Mining your own patients is the best place to start. Yep. They're there. And you, the other thing that you've got an advantage with them is that uh, they know, love, and trust you already. Yeah. Well, I mean. Two or three is not bad. <laughs>